Hello and welcome to Loose Cannon, the Civil Liberties podcast. Today it's just me. Parnell is a bit busy uh, now with the uh, lockdown lifting somewhat here in Sydney. So today I just decided I would grab another uh, Sydney, I guess, amateur podcaster who's been in Parnell's Twitter circle and has had some very interesting things to say in newspaper articles about Australian civil liberties and especially under COVID. And uh, his name is Misha Sol. Is that pronounced correctly? That's perfect. Yeah. I have a, I have a Colombian friend who is Saul. So yeah. you are, you're happy with Sol. I am happy with Saul and my, my wife's Mexican. And so when I go over there, um, they all get confused about uh, first name, surname. Should they call me Saul or whatever? But that's, that's fine. Yeah. And your podcast is the Eureka podcast, correct? It is the Eureka podcast. That's exactly right. Yes. Now, well, thanks for agreeing to have a chat. Um, we're kind Absolute of, pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And we're, we're quite, I guess, similar, like two Sydney Jewish guys with vaguely Eastern European backgrounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We, we don't know each other. So this is the first time we've spoken. So we'll, I guess, get to know each other while a couple of other people might be listening. Maybe my sister or my mum. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks. And and so how do you know Parnell? What is this mysterious WhatsApp group you mentioned? So Parnell and I were first introduced through Claire Lehman who um, who's a mutual friend claire um runs quillette um uh well it's based in sydney and it's a it's a global um outlet for you know free thinkers that's probably the way the way i kind of think about it she might um describe it slightly um differently um and uh and yeah someone added me to a signal group with uh parnell and, and a few other media folk and uh I've enjoyed just chatting with them and interacting with Parnell um, over time. So I'd say we're fairly recent um, acquaintances and I admire her writing. Mm. I think about, oh, I don't know, could be like four years ago or something, I might have sent a kind of a, a fan email to Claire Lehman saying, hey, how about I be your podcast guy for Quillette? Hmm. And um, I, I didn't hear back, but that's probably because she gets 20,000 emails. And anyway, now they have a really good podcast, and which, I'm, which I listen to. So they sorted oh, it no, out. She, she, um, she lives nearby and uh, she's super, super lovely person. So it would be yeah, snowed under with emails or kids or, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And given at that time, probably she was doing it all like single-handedly. It's not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I first came across you via this article that appeared in, I think, USA Today and a few other places. Was it also in the Fin Review? No, it was just USA Today. Then I think oh. it was syndicated to like yahoo.com and, and stuff like that. Okay. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even access the USA Today article. You needed like a US credit card to even become a subscriber. And it was, it was very difficult. Um, yeah. It was, uh, so it was a schlep in itself, but yeah. Yeah basically about how Australia has been, had been responding to COVID. And yeah, I'm interested. Tell me what happened to your wife when she came back to Australia. Well, first of all, I should say congratulations on going through the humiliating experience of begging the uh, 
you know, people's commissariat of the border force and successfully getting permission to, to travel. Um, what happened when, when well, she came back? Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm, I'm always cautious kind of, I mean, I did write it. I was very vocal about it on Twitter and I wrote an article about it. So I can't uh, complain, but um, I don't want to come across as too much of a sook with these things because, you know, a, a lot of people obviously um, yeah, have gone through far worse things in, in Australia and, and elsewhere. But I guess um, I, I did feel quite acutely the general indignity um, and, you know, and, uh you know, I guess I don't want to be, I kind of use this term too much, but like the kind of oppressiveness of the you know, kind of faceless bureaucracy that kind of runs the entire system. And so, um, and so I, I was pretty um, pissed off and, and my wife was, was pretty pissed off, I think. So what happened basically, she was in Mexico and she was kind of let out of this country as, as you rightly sneer at the kind of, you know, the position we're in having to ask um, our government to to leave the country, which is um, you know, a, which is a, a, you know, totally pathological in itself. Um, but it, but she she went for the the full three months and, and she came back and obviously um, we, we did the quarantine thing, which is entirely sensible. And so a few things happened. Um, firstly, uh, and what kind of probably prompted the article when a USA Today a journalist reached out to me after I started whinging about it on Twitter. Um, she, they had been tested throughout the entire period and had been all coming back negative. And I've got three kids, you know, under four. So uh, it was my wife and three kids under, under four. And so, you know, you can imagine uh, what she was going through in quarantine alone under those circumstances in a hotel room. And, um, and, and, you know, she was very keen to, to get out as I'm sure, um, you know, any parent would, would understand. And, um, and there ended up being a, a delay and it was very unclear what was kind of causing the delay. They had returned negative tests the entire time. Obviously, you kind of get tested periodically through the through the quarantine, and then they get tested on exit. and And the delay was kind of inexplicable. And so, um, and so, my wife was kind of um, annoyed and kind of uh, demanding release. And then, you know, they weren't really giving her a reason why um, she was being held. And so we're in this strange situation where she's done the, the full two weeks and that, that's fine. That's all kosher. And then, you know, they tested her and the kids throughout and they've all been negative. And then your release, you know, moment comes up, you know, comes up and you're not allowed to go. And so, you know, it's very, um, you know, and so, so like they're not, being tortured or something, but, but, you know, like it's an interesting question and, you know, we felt it quite acutely on what grounds are they holding them? Yeah. Um, you know, they're not even saying, they're not explaining the nature of the risk. You know, they're not, there's not even, um, you know, there's not even, you know, a decision framework. Um, they're literally just saying, look, you know, we need, it, it was, it literally felt like the bureaucratic gears were just turning somewhere and someone had to prove something and, and probably not one person, probably a few people had to prove something. And so, um, and this lasted for like 
you know, 12 hours or, or, or thereabouts. And so, you know, I was excited to pick up my kids and my wife and then suddenly I'm not able to. And so I am, you know, I'm basically throwing up a stink. I'm not leaving the hotel facility. Then I end up kind of leaving. That wasn't helpful. I was kind of just kind of, you know, giving grief unnecessarily to like a, a super friendly security guard and then you know the nurse was very understanding etc and so so everyone i kind of interacted with was super lovely and then you know i kind of called the minister's office and the person there was super lovely um you know and, and so on and so everyone you're interacting with is super lovely but obviously you can't kind of reach a decision maker which makes sense you can't have kind of every concerned father kind of speaking you know having the minister on 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 dial um but um but there was this kind of faceless bureaucracy doing something in the background without any communication and effectively holding my family for like a day with no cause and um and i think and 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 that basically sparked my outrage and so i wrote this article um to you know to that effect um and and i think um you know in in my mind um you know this was kind of the cherry on top at the time i you know i was pretty outraged at the broader situation by that point you know i think it's totally sick that australia basically uniquely in the world banned exit and as you kind of noted earlier, you know, you and I are from, uh, you know, kind of former Soviet bloc, and um, and it felt very Soviet. And I kind of grew up, you know, hearing the stories about my family being granted exit from the Soviet Union. My immediate family, we left basically around the time of the Soviet Union collapse in, in like 91. So that, that, I'm not talking about that, but kind of my relatives whom we followed to Australia, you know, were part of the Soviet you know, emigre waves after, you know, finally they were let out after there was a global campaign demanding that the Soviet Union, you know, allow Jews to leave. Yeah. And, um, and obviously, and you just, you can cut me off whenever I'm boring you, you know, or you <laughs> want to kind of ask anything, but, uh, no, you go but I guess, yeah, but, but, but I guess like that, that whole banning exit, you know, I was just shocked that that happened. I looked around and no one seemed to care and no one kind of got it. That's mm. it, isn't it? That's exactly it. That's what I felt very acutely that something that felt to me just unbearable was like, eh, whatever for, ev- for everyone else. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's not like a, um, you know, I think it's easy to kind of get caught up in, theoretical principled stances and i kind of try to avoid that a little bit but uh-huh. um yeah. but you know like you know to have to not be allowed to leave your country and you know we were not like our friends you know one of them had a sick mother in the uk and or uh, you know there are like there are, there are stories abound you know that are and, and to, to to not be able to uh you know to do that i don't think we faced something like that before in australia and to be honest, it um, uh, you know, I'm very grateful to this country for every all the opportunities it's granted me and my family as an immigrant family, and you know, I think Australia, you know, is is a place where the the American dream, you know, so to speak, you know, really lives, and it is the land of opportunity. But um, but this really fundamentally changed my perspective around the Australian polity, um, amongst other things, which we 
can can discuss if if, yeah. if, if of interest. Yeah, um, yeah, it certainly revealed stuff about the Australian character, didn't it? Um, it's it's. What do you think the people with an Eastern European background? What do you think it gives us that other people in Australia don't sort of a lens that that, that other people in Australia don't have? I, I've actually noticed that. Um, uh, so there's other podcasters that I listen to and kind of agree with a lot, not, not necessarily on civil liberties, but there's these two girls in New York or young women, um, Red Scare podcast. Yeah. And um, Great. I, I like listening to them and I, I don't know if it's. Oh, well, I, I think, um, <clears throat> I mean, I think yes is a short answer. I think, um, you know, Australia and the US, um, but, you know, I'll speak for Australia, especially post kind of Cold War through the 90s um, and and since then probably decreasing. But, you know, I grew up in the 90s and, you know, the water I swam in was this kind of um, deep optimism and this kind of effusive sense that, uh, you know, um, the, the arc of the world bent towards justice and, you know, progress. And, um, and you know, there's this kind of infinite upward uh, tra- tra- trajectory. And I think um, the context that Australians kind of look at things that everything's just kind of fine. Whereas, um, uh, you know, I think if you speak to, like I was cycling with uh, a, a Yugoslavian a guy, you know, really a great guy with Yugoslavian background, and he kind of saw these shock troops everywhere at one point, in like in Sydney. Yeah. And I was shocked, and I was like, you know, like what is this? You know, and he was like, what is this? Like Serbia? Like it's it's sick. And you know, he's sending videos to the family, and the family are like, is everything okay? And so, you know, I think there is a, um, you know, a real, you know, it, we recognize it. And we see it, and um, and I think like even um, you know, uh, and this isn't like partisan thing at all. Like, and I think you know when we saw the videos of the protesters in Melbourne, and what uh, you know just recently last few weeks, and, and what um, what the police were doing there. I mean, I thought like it was you know it was draconian and you know massively overreach and it's clearly um you know abuses of, of power and not just by the police but you know the the kind of petty um the kind of pettiness of you know the, the premier in 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 victoria um kind of shutting down playgrounds and all these other other totally unscientific you know um vindictive arbitrary exercises of power and i hadn't really seen that before and you know we don't really think about politicians and our police in that way in australia you know i think people people don't fear the police which is like a great thing that's a feature not a bug and you know and and, you know i think on, on balance um you know people have a kind of respectful um relationship with with police and authority and and i think i feel like i I, I do as well. But, you know, when, when they came, you know, um, to my home or, uh, you know, when you're seeing these things happen on the street, like, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, it's shocking to, 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 to kind of see that. And, and frankly, you know, your point around others not seeing it, you know, I think your view and my view here, we are in the minority, 
you know, I think the majority of people of Australians, you know, I don't claim to speak for them because what I see is a general complacency and complicity with this kind of, um, you know, whole monitor class, you know, um, you know, snitching kind of culture that we've seen yes, develop. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, I think I think like I I see people wearing masks with not a person around for miles, and I think, you know, like it's this idea that teacher is watching, and we have to be like, you know, we have to have to make sure we're doing the right thing, like that that kind of. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. This sort of um, teacher's subservience. Pet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the teacher's pet thing. I think it's totally right. Like I'll give you an example. Like I got um, yeah. There was some. This is you know some random bloke in in the western suburbs or whatever in Sydney, who uh who who got cuffed in front of his daughter, young girl, for not wearing a mask, and he was like in the bush somewhere, right, yeah. or something. There wasn't like anyone around. Yeah, and you know, like. Um, and, and so I got into this um, biff with some, you know, big fund manager in Australia over it because I said, look, it's really not that hard. Should explain. You know? you, you've worked in the financial world, yeah? Oh, yeah. I'm in finance, but I'm in finance. But, but, but you know, this isn't like a, a guy with like you know, some random anonymous guy with like one. This is like a, a you know, a pretty well-known, thoughtful Australian fund manager basically very super smart guy of deep respect but like um but i just found it really insightful and instructive and i basically said look i'm sure this dad he didn't have a mask yes he was breaking the rules and yeah you know what i bet it wasn't part of the article or whatever in the in the in the newspaper but i bet he was probably dismissive and rude to the police like i i bet you know like i'm not i'm not pretending people are saints or 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 whatever and they just like cuffed him for not wearing and I just thought you know what like um like it's just not that hard you know like there, there I'm sure there are gray lines and police got to do their jobs but like there are some things you do and there are some things you don't and 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 police exercise discretion all the time well, around the what they if a policeman wanted to exercise their discretion against me you know, a sort of skinny, nerdy white guy in the eastern suburbs. Every single day of this lockdown, they could have arrested me, or they could have fined me. You know, because yeah, uh, I, I'm sure it was unevenly distributed, as you note, like between suburbs and people. But I'm not even making the discrimination point. I'm just saying, like, you know, don't handcuff dudes who are alone with their daughter playing in the bush you know like it's just it's just not, not that hard okay for not like wearing a mask okay like 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 like, like you don't need to be a genius like uh, I, as the cop i don't want to be doing that you know i don't want to be going home to my wife saying i just handcuffed this dude okay and this fund manager called me vile vermin for expressing that view and basically you know went off in a huff because um, because I was effectively, you know, uh, a rule breaker, you know, and I just thought it's perfect, isn't it? Like, I mean, like, uh, you know, there's a rule and it's a very Australian mindset. You know, there's a rule. Don't ask why, don't ask who, don't ask what it's a rule. And, you know, we must obey it. And, um, and, you know, something about that really sickens me. Um, you know, so, uh, so yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I kind of see that everywhere. I think, I think that's the majority of you. So, uh, you know, I think, unfortunately, 
you know, like, like when I saw, um, you know, the, the unionists in Melbourne breaking off and, um, you know, having their protests and, and stuff and, you know, and then I saw, you know, the police come in and kind of, you know, bash them up and, 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 then, and then you kind of see the former uh, head of the Australian Labor Party, Bill Shorten, call them, you know, Nazis basically and you kind of see this, you know, were you know being called far right extremists, and and you know this massive, it basically giving cover to the cops to do what you will. And you know, I'm not a unionist. I'm some like guy living in Sydney's North Shore. I've got I'm I'm in finance. I'm like, you know, as far away from like blue coal land as you can see. But you know, and and I'm sure I would disagree with a lot of the things these you know views these protesters have you know these i don't think you know you probably can't describe them as my people so to speak but i really felt you know they were mine in that moment because i felt they were abandoned by their people they were abandoned by their union leadership they were abandoned by the australian labor party they were abandoned by the kind of you know, emasculated overeducated you know progressives that dominate the movement and um and, and so who do they have left and i and i thought my goodness you know everyone's caught you know the, the the australian left has been so kind of hollowed out by its you know kind of overeducated um, you know, emasculated, you know, bureaucratic class that it can't even recognize a white collar worker. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, so, sorry, a, a blue collar worker. You know, like, and and if you've been to a construction site or a, or a mining or a mine, um, or a mine, you know, you know, like, you know, these are you know blokes how they act, you know, and and, and you know, in the normal course of things, but that kind of um, you know, rough, gruff, blue collar guys doing what they've always done um and kind of also you know voicing their you know legitimate grievance at the kind of state overreach you know they the left can't even recognize that and and once upon a time the left would have been once you know really you know among them yes. and kind of joining them in the in their fight and i yeah. thought um you know and, and and so i just found that whole episode really depressing and I, I i think you know the majority of australians are against them and you know and they're the left's against them as well and i and it made me realize if something were to you know if, if i were on the wrong side of things here you know if something if i were on the wrong side of arbitrary state power if i were locked up unfairly for whatever reason no one's going to be there for me because okay. i think um because I think, uh, you know, me or my family, because I think, and I don't expect to, obviously, but, you know, I, I, you can see that playing out where Australians are unable to exercise, uh, you know, basic, uh, you know, what we would have considered rights, you know, protest um, and the like, and, and no, one, no one really sticks up for them. So um, I really felt despondent um, following that whole episode. Yeah. Can you hear that? In the background, the mowing. Guy. I can't hear anything. Oh, nope. good, good, good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I think I'm. This is the thing. I, th I think I'm a far leftist. I think I'm a Marxist, even potentially on the economic and social justice stuff. Uh, well, economic justice uh, stuff, and I don't understand what. Well, 
it's 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 really disappointing that people who I think I would agree with on many issues can't see what you've been saying, you know. And it's interesting that the health experts, you know, who have been behind, well, the governments have been hiding behind on a lot of these moves. It's almost as though, well, they're the right kind of people, you know. They went to university, they studied social work or public health. They they have the best interests and best intentions of everyone, you know, and it sort of makes it all fine because they're like me, you know, they're my kind of person. They're the, you know, do you, do you think that there's a bit of that? Like if, if, if the health public health official sounded like Donald Trump, do you think they would be, you know, so compliant? Yeah. I mean, um, of, by, by the way, I, I love like when you said, um, you know, when you reach, I want to speak to me and said you were, um, you know, hard left was the kind of word to use. I thought that was great, you know, because, um, you know, I, I've never, I never would have been described as, as left and, you know, um, I'm quite like, you know, uh, I've always been kind of, um, you know, very free markety. Actually, you know what? Oriented. Yeah. Mm. L- l- let me, re- let me slightly rephrase my question because my question was a bit rambling and silly. Let me say this. So I was heavily influenced by a Marxist political economist historian called Emmanuel Wallerstein. Emmanuel Wallerstein, good Jewish name. He wrote from New York. He wrote three, oh, sorry, four volume series called The Modern World System, tracing capitalism back to its origins in 16th century Europe. It's a very God's eye view of long historical change, understanding history through the rhythms of capitalism. So like the structural division between the core of the world economy and peripheral zones of the world economy, and also of Kondratiev long waves of expansion and contraction. Anyway, that's all you know, uh, another top, another discussion, but uh, fundamentally when he wrote, when he wrote his articles and his op-eds and all that, it was all materialist, historical materialist based. It was like you, you look, people's attitudes politically don't magically develop from nowhere. They come from how people make a living. They come, their values emerge from how they're, they're, where they're placed in society, their professions, etc. So I just apply that to the middle class and the professional class as well. Like they've got biases, they've got self-interests when they're given power to exercise it over others, you know, it goes to their heads just like in any other, any other person. So, you know, that's. Yeah. I am um, the way I think about it. Someone said this once and I kind of, um, I thought it really resonated with me. You know, I think the left are right about class and wrong about everything else. And, uh, and I've always thought that's actually very acute, you know, I think, um, or, or, or astute rather. Um, I, I thought, I thought that that always, um, made sense to me, but I guess my, my broader point is when you kind of told me, you know, you were hard left, you know, I, I, um, I come from this kind of forgotten, you know, discarded tradition of actually, you know, being able to have a fine conversation with people you disagree with or people, you know, who have a wide range of views. And a lot of my friends, you know, profoundly disagree with me on a bunch of things and that's never really um, stopped, you know, close friendships. So I was, I was absolutely delighted to, to have the conversation on that basis. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, we're in, in Australia, right? So nothing really turns on it. Like we're not, there's no party, you know, with a militia, like, you know, shooting the other party with the other militia in the street, you know, so it's like, but it's interesting. Like there are, um, taboos and, uh, you know, 
ideologies um and there are there are many things you can't say uh in public and and like or you know and, and you're right you're not going to be shot for them at all um so maybe it's just a question of kind of courage but it, but you 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 it will affect your career prospects um yeah. you know so uh so um you know so you're right on overstated you, you're not you, you know we don't have you know a, a junta that's going to like lock you up for saying the wrong thing um but you know you will be kind of uh hounded um you know from polite society for kind of saying um you know many truths one thing you talk about a lot on your podcast it's sort of a, a topic you seem to be quite interested in is relationships and marriage and dating and you have so you had a very interesting evolutionary psychology expert on um what was her name Diana Fleischman yes and she's uh, awesome Yes, very interesting. And I'm just wondering, is is that connected? I know this is a civil liberties podcast, but is that connected in your mind to some of the things you've been talking about already? Or are they just like separate hobbies of yours? Look, I've got, I'm married and I've got three kids. So, you know, I think everyone who's married and has kids, you know, thinks deeply about that because that's a massive part of your life. Yeah. I think Diana specifically is extremely articulate and thoughtful and has very different views. And, and often I disagree with her or whatever, but she's one of those wonderful people with whom you can really disagree with wonderfully, you know, and, and even if, you know, I disagree with her. I think she's, uh, you know, even if I think she's wrong, I think she's, all, she's interesting. And so, um, and so she was great to kind of uh, talk about that. But I think mm. the, the, the kind of, um, and so look, I, I, you know, and, and I'll, I'll give you an interesting um, example of how, you know, the relationship focus and the kids focus bleeds into my other stuff. Like I think um, I've had folks, uh, you know, I've been quite public about being very kind of pro-natalist or pro-babies. Like basically it's a really fancy way of saying I really love my kids and I love having more kids. And if it were up to me, I'd have like, you know, 50 kids or <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I, I think, you know, that definitely, t- and so the really nice thing is that people started to reach out to me, not that many, but an occasion kind of out of the blue, either acquaintances or randoms and saying, hey, I'm, you know, really excited. I'm, I'm going to be having a kid or I just had a kid. And I'm just reaching out to because I know you talk about it in your podcast. And I just think that was totally unexpected. And it's just so beautiful like it's just it's a tiny thing and you know um i i didn't expect it and you know i'm not adding anything to anyone's life but the fact that someone thinks correctly that i would care and that that would bring me a little you know ray of joy in my day and that that I can kind of reciprocate in some way and tell them how beautiful it is what they're doing, you know, that doesn't cost anyone anything and it's totally apolitical and it's purely a beautiful thing. And like, I just, I'm really grateful for that. I mean, that's only happened, like I call call it a handful of times or whatever. I don't want to overstate it, but that's been really fun. I I think the, the, the underlying thing that kind of connects all the relationship stuff and the baby stuff to kind of the broader political things or kind of world things that I, that I think about, you know, I think, um, you know, I can't, I kind of, you know, alluded to kind of institutional decay uh, uh, much earlier, but like, I think 
there's something broken. Um, and I've noticed this for for about a decade, I've kind of noticed this, like, you know, um, you know, pe- people are having, and this is not a secret, and a lot of other people write and speak about this, you know, extensively and, and more articulate, more articulately than, than, than I do. But, you know, uh, it's not news that fertility rates are declining. Men and women are having children much later, um, you know, well into their 30s now. People are having fewer children, um, you know, birth rates are sub- uh, replacement level in much of the kind of advanced world. And there's a fundamental sickness, like a social sickness associated with that. You know, I, I think if you kind of optimize for everything aside having kids, you know, that's by definition not going to last, right? You, you know, and so, and there's something kind of broken in that in that society and there's something broken in a society where people don't want to um you know continue themselves have you thought much about this is where i'm this is how i'm going to connect the relationships and the civil liberties have you thought much about the phenomenon of dating coaches and i think um I think I was a bit disturbed when I came across an article that said a bookshop was coming up with a new rule that you couldn't talk to others in the store because supposedly dating coaches were encouraging their students to to do that. And, um, and yeah, this is in Sydney. And, um, you know, when I was uh, a few years ago, Japan was a big obsession of mine. And I wrote a little book about my reflections on Japan and Japan is a place where it's still okay for men to try to, you know, pick up a girl like it used to be considered normal in western society and not be guilt you know not feel that it's something wrong or morally reprehensible about doing that and so my eyes were kind of opened to how normal behavior by men was kind of stigmatized in western countries now well i I, look i haven't thought about dating coaches specifically but that last comment of yours really resonates you know normal male behavior like masculinity is effectively stigmatized and you know people might call it toxic masculinity or whatever but i mean being like acting like a man and you know manhood and you know even saying these words are like at best cringe you know so in quote quotation marks you know or uh or dangerous you know that that's how these things are referred to in public but actually there is such a thing as being a man and in fact you know um you know picking up girls uh, is absolutely still kosher it's just that uh you know women will say it's okay when the guys like hot and they like him and his high status and they'll just say you know how evil and gross it is when they're not into the guy like it's, it's actually like as basic and and kind of bullshit as that and so uh, my my th- thesis that i kind of put to alex kushida on the podcast was a lot of this is like um you know it's, it's like a it's like a it's like a it's like a trap or i don't know what the right word is like i don't know if gaslighting is the right word i don't even know what that word means but like you know, <laughs> i like that I, word yeah <laughs> I, I don't even know what it is but like i think i think like you know, I think there is all this messaging that, um, you know, being a man's bad and that um, uh, actually, you know, you should act in this kind of effeminate way. You should express your emotions and all this stuff. And I reckon like a lot of that's really done just to kind of weed out the chaff 
depth, you know, uh, and so that if you do that, aha, uh-huh, well, then you're not the, my mating partners, so to speak. Like, it's a giant trap, basically. So, like, I mean, I think, I think that this kind of goes to a broader phenomenon. Like, I think the rise of dating coaches wouldn't surprise me because you have a kind of rise of um, kind of single, unwanted men. You know, there's this great chart going around with the right, you know, way more male virgins like um you know there are way more male virgins and and what's really happened here is the the market for sex has deregulated uh, over the last decade or so and kind of the 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 dating apps have massively accelerated and so what's happening is um you know where if in the past you can think of marriage as this um uh, sex distribution mechanism you know it's monogamous and so every everyone kind of gets a partner and so you know the the highest status and the most elite men kind kind of hoard partners which kind of happens in polygamous uh in, in polygamous societies and so um, you can see it's like a marriage is, is like this distribute, distributive mechanism. Now that marriage is being um, kind of delayed and, and you kind of get this very you know, more liquid and efficient market through, through Tinder and the like, what you're seeing is that the top crust of men are like eating like kings and they couldn't be happier. It's like a very masculine world and they're just, you know, sleeping with, 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 with all these girls and, you know, the world's, and the world's fantastic, then everyone else is basically losing because, um, you know, the, you know, girls are, they're obviously sleeping with the girls and, 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 and women across the field are kind of happy. And you can kind of see, um, you know, when you see who's matching with who and who's interested in who, you see these great graphs of like, you know, men basically, you know, there's like a normal distribution curve of who they're attracted to, whereas women, they're all basically competing for the top 20%. And so you see that kind of playing out where the top 20%, 15% or whatever the number is, basically eat like kings. And all these women feel validated because they're like, oh, this this high status male, this attractive male is sleeping with me. And I feel, I feel great. And then obviously, you know, there's no kind of commitment or whatever. And so they're kind of let on forever and you're kind of getting these kind of false signals. And then um, there's this like, you know, rump of men who basically are starving. And so you get like, you know, this, um, you know, the, the kind of small portion of men who are richer than, than God and majority of men are, you know, far worse and women on balance are far worse. And kind of, you see, you see them waking up now and kind of resisting the kind of sex positive movement, you know, increasingly because, um, you know, they, they kind of feel gypped. Which you know, and they have been, you know, they've effectively been been lied to, and they've kind of been tricked by by the system. And it's very hard. I mean, I don't know how it's going to kind of reverse, but um, but in that universe, going to your original question, of course, you're going to have dating coaches and the like because you've got this growing market of like you know sexless men who are trying to figure out how to um, how to uh, you know f- find a mate. Okay, thanks. Thanks for joining us on Loose Cannon. Misha's Twitter will be in the show notes. Uh, do you want to tell everyone what it is, or do you do you want to hide it? <laughs> no, no. Look, I, I, I mean, that's totally fine. No one really follows me on Twitter anyway. It's just my my way of kind of so it's meeting, at, uh, at, at Misha. Misha underscore Soul S A U L. Yep. And um, my web, you could. You can probably like find things like both like things I write about and my podcast at www.mishasoul.com. Yep. Brilliant. Please uh, 
do get in contact also with us. Uh, the email address is loosecannonpod at gmail.com. Um, this and also Parnell's Twitter is uh, going to be in the show notes and love to hear from people on guests to have on and just responses in general. Thanks very much for joining us and see you next time. Jonathan, absolute pleasure. Thank you.